You are back with The Conversation. This is Catherine Cruz. A day after Governor David Ige announced a plan to reopen neighbor island travel, dropping the 14-day quarantine, we talk marketing. Joining us today, Chris Cam, President and Chief Operating Officer of OmniTrack. His tourism and travel marketing research and forecasting spans more than 25 years. He served as the Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau's Senior Director of Market Insights for a decade. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Catherine. Glad you could join us. Thanks for having me. Also on with us, Avi Manis, Senior Vice President, Marketing of Hawaiian Airlines. Uh, Manis uh, first joined the company in 2007 as the Senior Director of Transformation. Prior to that, he worked at the Boston Consulting Group in New York City in Paris, France, and at Christie's Auction House in New York City. So glad that you could join us, Avi. Aloha. Thanks for having me. And John White is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Ka'anapali Beach Hotel. Uh, White sits on the Hawaii Tourism Authority's Oceania uh, Europe and Canada Advisory Committees. He is a member of the Maui Visitors Bureau Marketing Committee. Uh, White also worked with uh, the Kapalua Resort, Maui Eco Adventures, and the Nike Company in Oregon. Good morning, John. Aloha. Thank you for having me on. You know, I'm going to circle back uh, to Chris. Chris, if you could just kind of set the stage for us. You've been doing a lot of research. What are you seeing worldwide as people start to relax these restrictions on travel? Well, what we've been seeing, actually we've been doing this uh, uh, research of uh, U.S. Uh, travelers who've traveled in the past uh, year, and uh, we do a survey of 2,500 uh, past year travelers. Basically, we survey them online going door-to-door would take way too long. But we do the online survey, and uh, what we found is our, the last time we were in the field measuring uh, travel intentions was uh, first week of May, May 1, 1st to 9, and at that time, 40% of travelers intended to take some kind of trip in the coming six months, which would have been between May and October. That's 40%, interestingly enough, and that was uh, occurring when the soft opening, if you will, of the country was occurring, that 40% mirrored the 40% that we saw when we were previously in the field during uh, March 24 to 26, which was kind of a, what we saw at the depth of the uh, of the uh, the, uh, the COVID outbreak when people got went into a panic and they uh, they, they canceled all their future travel uh, intentions. Uh, so basically, even though there's the uh, what we see is there's a lot of demand out there, but the actual number of trips that people intended to take between the soft opening and the depth of the, of the panic uh, were, were identical. Um, however, we did see a big change, like 22% of the market said that they don't, do not have any solid trip plans yet, but they are considering traveling between now and the end of October. And you know, we kind of see these people as the wait-and-see travelers. They want, they want to get out. They're very eager to travel, um, but they have concerns over... Uh, personal concerns over uh, COVID, uh, they saw it as their civic duty to stay home and, and obey all the uh, stay-at-home orders. I think now that those orders have eased and things are opening up again, these people are really watching it, and you know, the wait-and-see travelers are, are kind of watching to how things go. They're, uh, they're looking for clues that will build their travel confidence and get them out the door. And uh, you know, at the outbreak, these things that would have built their travel confidence were very uh, data-oriented. I, I think we're kind of almost marketing to geeks here. Uh, there was like the number of cases that a destination has. What does the health official at the destination say? Now, in our latest research, what it says is uh, 
rather than looking at the data and information like that, the, uh, the uh, travel confidence builders are more operational in nature. They want to know that, um, that uh, hotels and airlines have increased their sanitation practices. They want to see uh, indicators that things have been cleaned, how frequently they're cleaned. Uh, as they travel, they're not afraid, they expect to be uh, required to wear masks or social distance, uh, and uh, those are not travel deterrents at, at this time. Uh, we work with clients across the country with this research, and uh, uh, our clients from a marketing perspective, they're all targeting, uh, uh, they, they see the drive market as their, uh, their near, the, uh, near-term business that they're going to try to build. Uh, the question for Hawaii then becomes, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do we, who do we market to uh, in lieu of, of you know, not having a drive market? And I think the reopening of the inner island market just might fill that bill. Which takes us to Hawaiian Airlines, because uh, the company just rolled out its plan, I guess, to help boost consumer confidence, to let people know, you know, w- what it's doing to to uh, get people on board and be able to travel safely. So, Abi, can you talk about that? Sure. We think that that is a really important part of the process of getting people back to traveling is to share with them uh, the fact that, that, that it's safe to travel. And uh, I know that this is happening across all of the sectors of the visitor industry and our colleagues in hotels and attractions and other areas have implemented new processes. We in the airline industry have done the same thing. Uh, we have um, looked at uh, the best evidence we have, the best medical advice uh, we can get from various uh, epidemiological organizations and have uh, really looked at the whole process across the customer journey to try to figure out the changes we need to make to ensure um, that our guests are as safe as possible. And that's everything from uh, distancing at boarding uh, to enhanced sanitization and using electrostatic uh, misters to mist antiviral agents into the cabin, uh, looking at the air filtration systems on our aircraft, which are already uh, contrib- which already contribute to uh, a great deal of safety on board. We're requiring masks and personal protective equipment, both for our employees and for our guests. And so um, there is a lot of work going on to um, be able to ensure people that, uh, that it is safe to travel. And in fact, there's very little evidence to date, even during the period of time when airlines were operating, that there was uh, really any uh, passenger-to-passenger transmission of COVID, even during a period of time when we know that there were people who were uh, infected and even symptomatic flying on aircraft. And so we, we think we have designed a really safe experience, and this is true of us. It's true of all of the airlines uh, in the U.S. and certainly uh, around the world. Uh, and we have to go out and share with potential consumers uh, the changes that we've made so that they can start to establish confidence. And I think you know, that is the first of several things that we need to do to be able to uh, welcome people back and get our tourism economy, economy restarted. That's the first thing. The second thing uh, is making people feel welcome in Hawaii, and that's something that uh, I think we certainly can't just expect to come with a flip of a switch. I think there's marketing to be done there, certainly after the headlines um, that have made uh, national and global news about uh, manhunts and arresting visitors. Um, that's something we have to work on. And the third thing is we have to figure out how to reopen and help keep people safe, our, our industry employees, our community, and our guests. 
because until we can do that and until we can lift the long-haul quarantine, there's really no uh, impetus for people to come here even if they want to. And you're addressing some of that by the seating arrangements, uh, not having people sit so close to each other, uh, you know, and I, I understand with the air circulation in the airplanes, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you have some new aircraft that also brings in fresh air? Yeah, so, so th- there are a couple of things there. First, um, you know, we think that the, the aircraft environment, because people are going to be sitting facing the same direction, um, because there's not a lot of movement about the cabin, because people will be wearing face coverings, um, and because all of our aircraft have either um, these hospital-grade HEPA filters that uh, recirculate the air, or they have constant airflow like our 717 aircraft where the air is constantly being replenished, um, that these constitute environments that are that are very safe. Um, in addition to that, in the near term, we're doing uh, a lot to try and make sure that when people do fly, uh, we're maintaining as much physical space between them as possible, which on an aircraft is a difficult thing to do, um, but certainly in the near term, as fewer people are flying, we're doing our best to make sure that people are evenly distributed across the cabin. Okay, but we do need that airlift in order to fill our hotels, which are sitting empty at this point. And, John, your property, uh, Ka'anapali Beach Hotel, you just happened to be launching this major renovation project, right? You just started that in, what, April? Yeah, we started uh, our uh, Kailala, our renovation project, uh, April 1st, uh, doing about 61% of our rooms and building a new oceanfront restaurant. So, uh, our timing is is unique and interesting um, to be able to do that. Um, at the same time, we we have a, a fair amount of our employees on property um, doing deep cleaning of rooms uh, as as well while they're social distancing, wearing the PPE. Um, so it's it's a it's an interesting time over here uh, compared to some other hotels that are fully shut down. Right, so you can take advantage of of the slowdown to hopefully ramp up that construction and, and get back online. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we we budgeted for a slowdown in revenues, but I don't think any of us budgeted zero uh, revenues. So, um, a, as uh, my former panelists are also saying, you know, at some point we need to figure out when we're ready to start to move things forward towards opening, making sure that we take care of our community, our employees, and our guests, and and those are three equally important areas that. Uh, that, uh, across the, the industry, Hawaii is doing a very, very good job of uh, uh, taking care of. You know, at the news conference yesterday with uh, Governor David Ige, you know, he announced that uh, the state would be lifting that 14-day travel quarantine for inter-island travel. He hopes to make an announcement on travel outside the state next week. We do realize that establishing and restoring uh, travel between uh, Hawaii and the trend Trans-Pacific destinations, both domestic as well as international, is the next step toward uh, restoring our economy. And we are working very hard uh, to look at what the conditions are and and look at safe travel corridors, uh, bubbles that we can create where uh, virus activity is constant or similar in all of those uh, areas and then uh, reopening uh, travel between Hawaii and international points and Hawaii and domestic points across the country. And Chris, can you talk about, you know, what other destinations are doing with these, you know, bubble arrangements? <laughs> I didn't realize the governor's on the line with us. 
uh, <laughs> welcome, Governor. Um, uh, what other destinations are doing is uh, they're you know they, they are setting up travel bubbles. Uh, there are regions of the U.S. which are considering travel bubbles. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are are working on their own travel bubble that allows basically they uh, they they put in place a minimum amount of restrictions and health screening. Uh, between the countries, and uh, travel, travelers can travel more or less freely. Uh, I think one of the most interesting cases I've seen, which is really not a travel bubble, but is uh, it, it, it's testing. It's Iceland. Uh, when uh, when people arrive in Iceland, they have the option. You can either go into a 14-day quarantine, or you can uh, be tested on site upon arrival. And uh, then they put an app on the person's uh, mobile device, and they track them and. Uh, until they, they see that all is clear. But uh, that seems to be working for Iceland. And there have been calls locally by lawmakers to have testing done before people actually get on a plane. Uh, I know we were talking to uh, some uh, Republican uh, state lawmakers who uh, are advocating that testing be done in that way, but they want the airlines to be able to, you know, check up on these passengers as they walk up to the counter to say, okay, do you have something that says that you were tested in the last three days, you know, and that you were cleared? Uh, I don't know. Avi, what does the airlines think about that? So I, I think there are some there are some questions that we're still exploring about whether or not airlines would be in a position to, uh, to do that screening step. Uh, that Certainly our staff are not medical professionals, and we believe that uh, screening is something that is a function better left to public health officials, either at the federal or the state level. We certainly believe that testing can play an important role um, in, in what we hope will be a layered system of, uh, of screening to ensure that, um, that, that our community stays safe as we, as we welcome visitors back. No one uh, test or screening method is infallible, and so it's really important that we not rely on a single point of testing, but that we have lots and lots of layers. This is what has worked in aviation security in the period since September 11th, and we think um, that this is an approach um, that would that would be sensible going forward. One of the one of the real logistical challenges that we see with testing is that a, a couple of things have to be true in order to be able to test everybody who comes here. First of all, tests need to be available really everywhere that visitors uh, come from uh, when they're coming to Hawaii. So nationwide, close by, available without a doctor's order. They have to be reasonably accurate, uh, and no test is perfectly accurate, but the tests have to be reasonably accurate. And they have to be affordable. They have to be in a range where it doesn't become prohibitive for uh, a family to come here because of, uh, of the cost of testing. And um, the last thing, the fourth thing, is really that has to be not so terribly invasive that it's a deterrent. So some of the deep nasal swab sampling methods um, that are, are, are quite unpleasant uh, may not make sense, but a shallow nasal swab or some of the other uh, saliva tests as they emerge may, may make sense. And as we look at that, those, those four conditions and whether or not um, the U.S. domestic market or really any of our international origin markets are ready for that, um, we, are, we, are not, we are not there yet. And so... Certainly, I think testing plays a role. Um, that testing can be risk-based. That testing could be random as people arrive um, so that we build a statistical baseline that helps us understand uh, the level of uh, disease among the traveling population. 
But as we look at the near-term feasibility of some of the proposals around testing everyone, we have some concerns about whether or not we could put that system in place quickly enough uh, to be able to restart our economy in time to divert, uh, to avert uh, some of the really dire consequences um, for our economy and for our community of uh, the sustained unemployment associated with having tourism shut down. And are there legal issues, you know, tied to denying someone the ability to get on a plane? You know, certainly airlines have the ability to deny boarding to someone who poses a threat to the health and safety of other travelers. So if someone presents uh, with a fever, if someone uh, presents in any way seeming unwell, I think we have the ability to go through a secondary screening process and deny someone boarding. That's something that we can do today for people who are unwell. Whether or not we can deny boarding to someone because they haven't gone and gotten a test, and today that is a test that is uh, expensive and not universally available, is really uh, an open question at the moment and something that would need to be explored before we implemented uh, any system of testing. And, and certainly we think this is one of those things that is better implemented as part of a national system of screening uh, rather than each state coming up with their own uh, system with which airlines have to comply. You know, with this 14-day quarantine period, you know, we've been watching the news reports about how the hoteliers have uh, let the health officials know that, you know, their guests have broken the quarantine and are going out to the beach. I mean, uh, I don't know, John, what, what's been the experience there on Maui? Because uh, we've had some scoff laws. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a very good point. Um, it's, it's, I guess, one thing if, if a visitor is coming and staying at a hotel, it's fairly controlled. I think where we were running into some issues is when they were staying at a vacation rental or some place that that there wasn't uh, someone to be able to watch them or use do the single-use keys. So uh, on Maui, with with um, hotels on that side of things, we were we were pretty good um, for the most part. People are are shut down on Maui because we are we're about 83% of our our visitor base is from the United States. Um, so with, without that service being there, uh, we're kind of you know, dead in the water on that side. Well, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about the marketing strategies for Hawaii, and we'd like to know what you think. Uh, join our discussion. Call us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Our guests in studio, Chris Cam uh, with OmniTrack, Avi Manis uh, with Hawaiian Airlines, and John White with Maui's Ka'anapali Beach Hotel. You know, at last week's Hawaii Tourism Authority Marketing Committee meeting, uh, the heads of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii, the Hawaii Lodging and Tourism Association, uh, Kualoa Ranch, and Retail Merchants of Hawaii each presented how their members are enacting safety protocols due, the pe- to, due to the pandemic. Chris Tatum, head of the HTA, applauded their efforts. Take a listen. We'll always be able to promote all the, the basics of the brand, right? The beautiful beaches and the great natural resources. But as we go into this next stage or the new normal, you know, our, our high value visitors, which is what our focus is, is gonna they're gonna want a healthy and safe destination. Then you add on to the fact that this is for the residents, and this is our home, this is where our families live. We want to protect ourselves. We want to be a safe destination. We're not going to put out there with the safest in the world. That's not our position. Our position is going to be is we're going to do everything we can to, to keep our, our residents, our employees, and our travelers safe. 
Who wants to jump in? Jump in here, uh, based on you know what they've heard Chris talk about. This is Avi. I think I think you know that is a really important point, and one of the the really critical nuances in in, in what Chris said is we we have to be very careful to uh, not market ourselves at, or try to market ourselves as a coronavirus free destination. It is inevitable, certainly as we open up air links with the rest of the world, that we will have an increase in the number of uh, of cases here. What we can do is promote ourselves as a healthy and safe destination. Um, that has a fantastic public health system and infrastructure and that has invested in keeping both our community and our guests safe. And I think that's a really important distinction. Hawaiian Airlines uh, has for a long time been uh, the most punctual airline in, in, in the U.S., um, but we don't go out and say that we are uh, the airline that is, uh, that is never late um, because that's a, a brittle claim and it takes only one instance to prove that wrong. And so I think it's really important that we find the right balance in promoting Hawaii as a destination that is safe for visitors, um, that has tremendous infrastructure for handling uh, coronavirus when it arrives on our shore, um, but doesn't oversell um, the, the notion of us being virus-free forever. Well, for those of us who, who uh, have been around, I mean, we all remember when HAL stood for Hawaiian Always Late, and that has <laughs> certainly been something that has transformed uh, to being the on-time airline. We hope that continues. <laughs> yes, I think a lot of us do. Uh, anyone else want to weigh in on, on this? Yeah, this is John. Um, I think uh, what, what Chris and HTA are, are doing is, is very important. Um, we are, um, believe it or not, a very small community, and uh, we, we have friends across all those, those different areas, airlines, hotels, activities, uh, retail. So what is that overall guest experience? Uh, from pre-departure all the way through. And so once, uh, as we ourselves are getting confident in what that experience is, then we can um, storytell and communicate that to the community, to our employees, and to the guests, that these are all the things that we're doing um, to ensure that you have a, a great time when you visit Hawaii, uh, when the time is right for you. And I think based on all the news that we've had in 2020, uh, people are going to need a mental break and, and come to Hawaii to, to refresh and rejuvenate um, themselves in any uh, fashion that, that they are looking for, whether it's just lying on the beach and taking a deep breath and uh, being thankful for, for what everybody has. And, Chris, what, are, what is your research showing just as far as, you know, how other destinations are, are marketing themselves? Well, uh, what we see is from the research is I completely agree with Avi and John, by the way, that uh, – Safety is important, but it's really the setting that uh, we do all the great marketing on top of, which makes people gives people the confidence to get on a plane and come here. Uh, what the research is showing is that uh, you know that people start leaving their houses and traveling again. What they're looking for is uh, uh, the, what rose to the top of the list: is places with uh, outdoor experiences, places uh, of natural beauty. They are removed. They are uh, less inclined now to uh, travel to a, a major metro area, a city, an urban area, and uh, and uh, really, you know, things that you have, used to be at the top of the list are now kind of sunk towards the bottom of the list of desirable things, places to go, and that would be like casinos, are have 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 decreased significantly. So they want to get outdoors. Yes. Yes. All right. 
Okay, well, you are listening to the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, we invite you to join our discussion by calling one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Roughly half of all Native Hawaiians now live outside of Hawaii. I'm Ku'u Ka'uanoe, a Native Hawaiian journalist at Civil Beat. I have a lot of questions about why people are leaving the islands today. Offshore from Honolulu Civil Beat explores the Hawaiian diaspora, past and present. You can listen Saturday at 4 here on HPR One. Join us tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR Two for a special Hawaii Symphony Orchestra Best of rebroadcast. It's internationally acclaimed American conductor Leonard Slatkin in a program that pairs Finland's Elena Vahala with Finnish master composer Jean Sibelius. That's tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR2, your home for classical music. Sponsored by Bronster Fujichaku Robbins. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa. Monthly online info sessions are available for the Distance EMBA and Master of HR, scheidler.hawaii.edu slash events. You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. While we can't share our home right now, we will always share aloha. That is a line from the Share Aloha video campaign launched by the Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau in April. Uh, it is more than 600,000 views on YouTube alone. Jay Tawar is the chief marketing officer at HVCB, which promotes Hawaii as a destination in North America. At a Hawaii Tourism Authority committee meeting last week, he said they're preparing market videos using existing footage, and he shared his thoughts on promoting Hawaii in a post-COVID world. Take a listen. We really feel the brand we have in place is right on for this environment. You know, sharing what we started with, with the Rooted campaign, uh, moving into the Sharing Aloha campaign, it really shows the wide open spaces, uh, the culture, uh, the natural environment, and the purity of the place, which is very, very attractive to a post-COVID-19 traveler. And so we're looking at right now, we're talking with our agencies about what a media strategy will look like, what our PR strategy will look like, and social media as well. So as soon as we're able to, uh, we can turn around real quick and turn what we have as an approach right now into a plan extremely quickly. Okay, we had a bit of echo on that, but uh, uh, your thoughts on this, you know, sharing... Uh, you know, the, our brand, uh, you know, given this time and space? Uh, this is John. Um, so since uh, the mid-'80s, uh, KBH has been known as Hawaii's most uh, Hawaiian hotel, and we've always uh, really taken culture as sort of our driving force of, of who we are and, and the guest experience. And as we um, move into this new phase of, of, of tourism, I think something that that's, we've been talking about uh, throughout the industry is also what are the expectations of our guests. Um, uh, we're, we are very giving place. We are giving people. Uh, we are all in the hospitality business. And we're also needing to reframe um, that expectation of our, of, our, of our guests. You know, what does it mean to come into our home, come into our, 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 air, um, our airplane or our hotel? 
So what are those 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 levels of expectations that we want? Uh, you know, sustainability has been on the uptick the last few years, so so being reef safe on your sunscreen. And as we move forward, there's going to be, I think, a little bit more communication we need to do with our guests to say this is these are the the house rules uh, for visiting Hawaii and making sure that uh, you bring aloha and we'll give you aloha back. And there's been you know lots of talk about you know getting the airlines involved in getting some of the messaging about keeping people safe, whether it's beach safety. And I think Hawaiian Airlines has has done some work on that, right, Avi? Yes, that's been uh, a, a, you know our our opportunity to reach guests before they get here and to talk to them about um, some of the some of the things they can do to um, have great experiences, but also to be great visitors and have the right kind of impact on Hawaii as a place. That that's something that we have uh, worked very closely with um, HVCB and other organizations to do. And certainly, as you look at our uh, in-flight entertainment system and some of the media that's available. We have a lot of great content that uh, shares both stories of culture and also um, ways that guests can be safe um, and also be responsible visitors. And I think it's really important, especially at this time, to remember that the vast majority of people who come here want to be respectful visitors, want to uh, engage in a really positive way uh, with Hawaii as uh, as a place, and and we've we've been in a position over the last couple of months where we've asked the majority of people to to not come here, and 98 percent of the people who would normally have come here during this that same period of time have not, and and the two percent have unfortunately given that broader group a bad name, and so I think it's really important as we reopen to um, reset our expectations, to continue to communicate uh, to visitors. Uh, to, to, to help them have a good experience and to operate under the assumption that the vast majority of people who want to come here um, want to leave this place a better place than they than they arrived. We do have a couple of calls on the line. Evan from Kauai, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Hello, Hi. this is Evan. Yes. You have a question? Yeah. The, okay, so um, Emirates Airlines is util- utilizing the Roche R-O-C-H-E, COBUS E-801 um, module testing. And it's um, a finger prick test, similar to diabetes, where you just get a, a less than a drop of blood. And less than 10 or 12 minutes later, at 99.8% accuracy, it, it tells whether or not you have um, COVID-19 antibodies, um, so Emirates Airlines uses that test and also a, a non-invasive little booth that you walk into that takes um, heart rate and temperature. So, and the Roche, the Roche test is less than $25. So you could, at every airline check-in gate, the Roche test is system could, could be affordable. People could volunteer. They want to travel to Hawaii, they have to take the, the test. You could even have it be when you leave the mainland, when you leave a terminal on island, and when you arrive at a terminal, you get tested a second time. So if you multiply 99.8% accuracy times two tests, eight hours apart, six hours apart for a transatlantic, trans-Pacific flight, you'd be at a, at a quite a high statistical uh, margin. And right. 
so you want to know w whether we can do it here? Well, I'd like, I'd like, yeah, I would, I, I would like the people that are there on the panel to, to Google Roach. Okay. Well, Avi, do you want to take that question? Sure. I think it's, I think it's a really interesting question, and, and certainly um, it's something that, that we continue to look at. I know the state and the Department of Health continue to, to, to look at really closely. In the case of the Emirates, uh, example, um, I will tell you my understanding of that was that it was for a, uh, a single flight that they did this. It was a repatriation flight from, uh, from Dubai to um, Tunisia, and they, were, um, they, they had a need to do this because they were, um, they were repatriating workers from, from Dubai, expat workers, and needed um, a health certificate for them to be able to come back into the country. So it was a really interesting test. I think it got an enormous amount of press coverage, uh, and, and there's certainly a lot that to be learned from that. Um, my sense, in, in, uh, as I've looked at what's, what they've announced in terms of um, resuming their normal scheduled flights, which Emirates has started to do, is that they have elected not to do this uh, methodology. They're doing a combination of temperature screening, health questionnaires, and other approaches. And so I think there's going to be a period of experimentation where um, airlines and air travel systems try a lot of things related to testing and learn from those things. I, I think we also we need to think about the consumer experience. And I, I, I don't know um, whether uh, a lot of the people who come to Hawaii for a visit um, necessarily want to go to the airport and have um, a, a finger stick test for, um, for antibodies. So I think that's something certainly that um, needs a lot of input from uh, our, our partners in, in government, in the, uh, in the medical community, to help us understand what will work best as we uh, bring back uh, air travel. We do have another call from Maui. Steve from Kihei. Aloha. Aloha. I have experience with um, uh, something I heard about the um, airport in Vienna that has been successfully done the uh, swab testing uh, since the beginning of May. And uh, if you are negative, you're able to not self-quarantine for 14 days. You can do that when you're um, landing, but also you can do that for the final destination. Many uh, final destinations apparently do accept that uh, document that you're receiving two or three hours latest after you've done the test. And my major point is I totally disagree that we have to wait for something that is going to be happening nationwide because that's going to be too late for the tourism business on Maui. I kindly ask you to reconsider your strategy. Of course, there is many, many questions, and you may want to be 100% uh, sure, but being 100% sure is not very good. I think a trial and error thing is going to be much better, and you're not going to be overwhelmed by tourists at the beginning, but if they think, okay, Maui is first, um, like Hawaii was, Maui was uh, with plastic bags, just an example, be there, do something, decide, and make it happen. But all these excuses are very difficult for us as the tourism, being in the tourism industry, um, uh, to understand and also to accept. Thank you for that, Steve. Chris, do you want to take that, talk about testing this issue? It's, you know, swirling. It, it's, a, it's, a head, it's a dilemma. It is a dilemma. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, it, 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 it's a, you, on the one hand, it's a dilemma. On the other hand, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity. I mean, and, uh, our clients across the across the U.S. mainland, uh, they don't have that opportunity, so they are just kind of, uh, you know, because there's no border. They uh, they have a lot of drive traffic. They will uh, 
they're just going to kind of wait and, and soft launch, see how it goes. Um, uh, but uh, I think the, we have the opportunity to do testing, and it actually kind of it, it segues into a different thought I had earlier on uh, what I've been kind of talking about is, uh, you know, we hit 10 million arrivals out here last year, and uh, people were starting to have those concerns about over-tourism. And uh, so while this is a, this is an economic uh, tragedy for us, it also is an opportunity to step back and uh, and learn some things. Because I think re- reopening is going to require us to basically engage in some kind of uh, managed tourism, uh, where we uh, look at who uh, we target to come to Hawaii, and uh, and where they go and how what kind of things they are able to do and how they how they travel while they're in Hawaii. So hopefully. As we uh, reopen the state, we can take learnings from this these, uh, this uh, managed tourism in a controlled environment and uh, apply them as we start to rebuild the visitor industry. You know, let's uh, go back and talk about the experience at the airport. You know, uh, in recent weeks, I've just been wondering, you know, how much earlier I have to get to the airport. Um, you know, Avi, I know you folks are, are rolling out, you know, uh, this plan that you have to try and keep everybody safe. Uh, you're, you're boarding by rows. Uh, how does that work for the folks that are in your, you know, your mileage program that expect to be uh, put on the plane first? Yeah, well, there's a lot that's changing uh, right now, and we have to figure out how to balance uh, the expectations of delivering great service to our guests and some of the things that our public health advisors tell us we need to do to keep people safe. And so, um, our boarding process uh, has been revised, and we're boarding um, first class, and then we will board from the back of the plane to the front in order to minimize contact between, uh, between travelers as, as you're going down, down the aisle. We, we've tested this extensively, and we think this helps. Um, it does uh, mean that some of our, um, our elite loyalty members who have uh, valued that benefit for a period of time, and we don't know uh, for how long this will be. I hope it's not permanent. Um, will um, not be be pre-boarding. Hopefully, that's going to ultimately result in an experience that makes all of our guests uh, feel safer. But but clearly, there are trade-offs between um, experience and safety, and we can't um, just continue to do things the way that we have that we have done them before. And Chris, we had a brief conversation about you know what the airport experience is going to be like. Uh, you turned me on to a podcast uh, where we had an architect uh, uh, that focuses on airports, and, and he had some interesting ideas about how we should rethink uh, how we check in people. Yes, indeed. I think uh, uh, it was uh, refreshing thought, thinking that, uh, you know, can they take, like, uh, they, they realize that maybe, you know, combining health screening and, and the security screening all in one place was uh, too much to ask, and then there wasn't enough space for it. And by the time people get into the airport terminal, it, it's kind of too late if you find out that they, they test positive. So what they were so one of the things they thought about was uh, uh, reallocating some of the uh, the space in the parking structure itself where people park for some health screening and baggage check-in. Make sure they get all of that out of the way, then the passengers could go into like a common area. And after, after after they pass through security what, within the airport, and just kind of hang out there. And uh, they said they, they did some research also that uh, the reason why people tend to 
uh, flock to the gate early, and they want to be the first one on the plane to fight for that overhead bag space. So they thought, well, you know, what, what if airlines offered a uh, concierge service where you know, I guess you would uh, give your check in your, your, your carry-ons uh, earlier in the process, and then if you don't have those carry-ons with you, the airline would go on before you get on and put them in the overhead space uh, before you actually board, board the plane. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Right. So, you know, it everything's on the table at this point. You know, throw those ideas on the table, and we can pick up that stone, turn it over, and see what would work given our situation. Uh, we have a call coming in from Honolulu. Dallas, you're on the line. Hey, how's it going? Um, so I'm a full-time public health student at UH Manoa, and um, I guess from, from what I've witnessed here, it seems like the business community just kind of got bored and decided that COVID was over without taking any sort of consideration with, uh, with epidemiologists or with anybody within the public health community. So and I'm wondering, um, to some of these business folks that are saying this, without a vaccine in place, how are we going to prevent us from turning into, you know, Detroit, where I had a, another friend of mine lose their grandparent and another friend lost their dad or New York City or Italy or any of these places without a vaccine in place? Um, I just don't see how it's possible. So are you working with, are you having epidemiologists advocate for this? Are you having public health community leaders? Are you having the Oahu Medical Response uh, Corps that are advocating for this? Or is it just that your board and moneyed interests are looking, uh, or moneyed interests are becoming a priority over that of public health of our community here? Okay, who wants to take this one? Well, I mean, this is Avi. I would certainly... um, reinforce the notion that the decisions about how uh, how we open as a community are um, the decisions to be made by by the governor and uh, his public health advisors and uh, clearly there's a very there's a there's a deliberative process going on to make sure um, that in doing this we are not going to uh, compromise the health of our community and that's incredibly challenging and I think one of the really difficult, and I'm not an epidemiologist, so I won't try and speak to any of that, but I think that, you know, one of the really difficult questions we have to ask as a community is whether, uh, whether and to what extent we can wait until there is a vaccine before we restart um, parts of our economic activity, because um, in the long term, uh, access to, uh, to economic resources and poverty are um, significant determinants of health. And I think one of the really important questions for us as a community, uh, Chris alluded to it earlier, is sort of how we want to reopen, how we make sure we do it safely, and how we resume some degree of economic activity so that we aren't uh, faced with a wave of uh, homelessness and food insecurity uh, and unemployment um, and inadequate access to educational resources that are going to strain our public safety net and, uh, and, and for have real generational impact. And so these are difficult questions, and they're certainly ones that folks in the business community have uh, perspectives on, um, but I think ultimately this is a question for our elected leaders, and I think they're going about this in a very thoughtful way. And I think probably the last thing that anybody wants is to reopen and then have to shut down again. Yeah, that would be really catastrophic for our industry. I think, you know, it, it, it's clear for hotels and everyone really in the industry that, that to try and open up again and then have to close down in short order because of a subsequent wave would be uh, incredibly damaging. We've heard this, you know, we're all in this together and we've seen how this health crisis has 
uh, triggered this economic crisis. You know, state departments are cutting budgets because of a fall in tax revenues, and that means steep cuts for uh, HTA. In 2020, its branding budget was $55.5 million. Their 2021 branding budget is $28.6 million, a 45% drop. Patty Herman, HTA's Vice President of Marketing and Product Development, laid out uh, where the money would go next fiscal year. Take a listen. We felt that the best thing to do is invest in the markets that are strong in Hawaii. In 2019, of course, you and this is all expenditure pretty much. So U.S. is number one, Japan, and then Canada, and then it was Oceania and Korea. So those are the markets that we will continue to uh, invest in with, with the global marketing teams. We did have to terminate a few of the market uh, global marketing teams with the lower expenditures, and that would be Europe, Southeast Asia, and we will be terminating China and Taiwan. So with the uh, five markets that uh, we will have in 2021, we will put a lot of uh, marketing initiatives towards it and do the best we can. With 28 million, it's not going to change the marketing perception of Hawaii, but it certainly will be able to continue brand with safety and health and culture uh, along with the community and natural resources in mind. And John White, you sit on the advisory committee uh, for the Tourism uh, uh, Association. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, on, on some of those those different regions, and I think that that's, that's really important. What HTA has been doing is, is the balanced approach pre-COVID so that uh, we continue to balance all of those things as best we can. And uh, I think, as, as Chris mentioned, this is the perfect time to do a reboot or a reset uh, for, for the, the tourist economy and, and overall Hawaii's economy. Uh, it's going to be uh, very painful, as it has been, and as we touched on the economic, the mental, uh, some of those things. There's, there's so many uh, elements of our daily life that are touched by, by this industry, and we have to take the measured approach that uh, Dr. Anderson and the governor and all the industry partners and our, and our friends and neighbors, we're all in this together. So it's, it's a... It's a big, uh, big thing to figure out, and as we move forward, we'll probably continue to adapt to a very fluid and dynamic situation. And Chris, your thoughts? I mean, you've seen what other uh, destinations are doing, uh, you know, to help out with the environment and manage tourism. I mean, are we going to see more fees uh, at places, at, at tourist attractions, so we can help maintain, you know, some of our natural resources? I think there are uh, places out there that are considering fees. I mean, even uh, uh, other you know, like uh, non-traditional fees, if you will. I mean, uh, there are, I'm already hearing talk about uh, fees that are tacked on basically to pass along the uh, the increased cost of uh, the enhanced sanitation efforts. Uh, but I think the uh, fees that would probably that those will be acceptable to some extent, uh, but Really, the ones that would resonate the most with travelers are, saying, are fees related to uh, increasing the sustainability of a destination. Uh, we already have uh, a, you know, a working model at Honolulu Bay. Can we take that model elsewhere? Can we expand that model out uh, to a larger scale and, and, and see if it works at a destination level? Kind of the question. 
And we have seen in places like Palau, with the Palau Pledge, where they've asked visitors to promise not to, well, to tread lightly. Yes. Uh, and then they charge a fee yes. also. Yeah. They, they do not necessarily enforce the fee, but uh, they, they do have the, uh, they do sound the warning that, uh, that you may be uh, fined if you violate the, uh, the Palau Pledge. Right, they reserve that right. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? I think the nice thing is is that we we've seen this uh, as you mentioned Palau, uh, Iceland uh, had the over tourism, uh, Italy. You know we we can learn from from some of these other hotspots that we've had, um, whether it's uh, health uh, situation over over tourism, uh, culture, you know, et cetera. So it's it's uh, it's it's imperative that we've we've taken the time over the last uh, say two months, three months. To make sure that we we reset, we reboot, and we focus on what is that that core, uh, for lack of a better word, product that Hawaii is offering, and that really uh, is is the aloha, the aloha spirit, uh, which comes from our community, from our culture, uh, and, and all of our people. Um, so we have to take care of that first and foremost, and I think the, the, that we're doing that as we come out of this by making sure that we take care of the community, take care of our employees. And that will allow us to take care of our, our guests in, in the most uh, uh, mindful way forward. And we've got about a minute left. I don't know. Any final thoughts, Abby? I, I think everyone's spoken to this, but, but clearly, you know, this is a moment for us to think about um, how the visitor industry benefits and, and, and poses challenges for our community. And uh, we also have to remember that um, this is a – we have – we have competition as a destination, and uh, we, we, we have to be mindful of delivering a, a great product um, and continuing to market uh, as we figure out how to navigate some of those challenges. Okay. Uh, and, Chris, you get the last word. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, basically, I think I, it's, it's been well stated. I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's the opportunity. It's the, uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, engage, to engage with visitors at a deeper mode, focus on the quality of the visitor rather than the quantity of the visitor, uh, to, to attract travelers and uh, not simply the vacationers who are going to come on a beach and uh, spend seven days lying, uh, lying on the camp. All right, so we'll have to see how the inter-island uh, uh, relaxation of restrictions, you know, plays out, uh, see how it works, see what we need to tweak. Uh, before we open up to the larger uh, tourist uh, uh, traveler. Uh, and uh, we'll have to hold each other's hands, I guess, uh, and, and get through this time. We would like to thank our guests, John White of Kaunapali Beach Hotel, Avi Manis of Hawaiian Airlines, and Chris Cam of OmniTrack. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. Um, what would you think? Please call our talkback line and leave your comments. That number, 808-792-8217. You can also send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation Podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow, won't you, for more of the conversation.